It's okay. like okay, so so you, know, you, you have a system, but we need to build it again. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So here's why here's the imposing sides we can take. Why? Okay. <laughs> so do you want to be the do you want to be the business leader or the engineering leader in this conversation? And we could just totally go through it from each side. Oh. Uh. Yeah. Okay. I'm kind of feeling like being the engineer who wants to rebuild it. Okay. I'll be the business leader. Okay. Okay. All right. So, hold on. But then what? What are we? What are we talking about, Mister? We are gonna. Mr. Sparks, <laughs> we are going to have a conversation about technical debt, yep. when you should do it, when you should build it, when you should fix it, and why. Sounds good. Hey, everybody. I'm Sparks. And I'm Hazeman. And we're the Space Pencils, and we're here to help solve some problems that we think could be solved, specifically around today, technical debt. Uh, somebody told you that they built something, and now they want to build it again. Why? So, uh, Hazeman, why, uh, why does that happen from a, from a business level? I, well, <laughs> from a business level, typically engineers are put under pressure to deliver business value in the shortest time possible. Not unreasonable. Now. I want this feature built. Yesterday. Get it. Yes. If getting it done in three weeks is good, getting it done in one week is much better. So <laughs> build it in one week. Oh, you said you need three weeks? I don't care. Build it in one week. And then engineers cut every corner imaginable to hit that one week, one week timeline. And then the world happens. And maybe it's delivered in a week. Maybe it's delivered in six weeks. Who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, but some point down the road, some poor decisions are made either through expediency, which is the positive take, or through incompetence, which is the negative tape. Um, and at a certain point, the system no longer stands up and no longer holds up. And we should talk about you know, what those criteria are. But at a certain point, you need to say, hey, here's a perfectly working system. Boss, manager, product manager, CEO, CTO, I need to take this perfectly working system and I need to build it again. <laughs> right. So from an engineering level, uh, I'm going to kind of take a voice of the engineer uh, as we have this conversation. Um, and here would be my first way to try to explain why I'm asking anybody that we need to build it again. Uh, I think it's better to just think of it like a house, right? Like software is, this is such a poor metaphor for software, but I think it's an easier thing to understand like what happens when you cut quarters. So if you have a house... Sure. And sure. you lay the foundation and you're like, you know what? We can do this cheaper wood. We can put in less of the pieces in between it. It's not going to be as stable if there's an earthquake or the roof is not going to have all of the weatherproofing. But, like, it's fine. It'll be, like, years before we get mold and rot. And so I end up, as a contractor, reducing the scope of the, of the house costs because I used a bunch of cheap materials and was able to get it up really quick because I didn't put it in enough nails. I, you know, just I cut corners. And so I have a house, it works, it keeps you dry, but it's a ticking time bomb in terms of like, when is it going to have problems? When is it going to have problems in the plumbing? When is it going to have warp? When is it going to be not so weatherproof? You know, I feel like that is the best way to explain at least like what we're talking about in terms of technical debt is you've cut corners because there's a timeline horizon. Is that fair? I think it's I think it's fair. I think we need to talk at least a little bit about um, why someone would why an engineer would cut corners, right? If if I'm a business leader mm -hmm. and I say get this done in a week, 
and you're an incompetent engineering manager, you might say, yes, boss, and get right to work. But if you're a good engineering manager, you would say, this takes six months a week. You're out of your mind. And we compromise um, and do it in three. Yep, that's right. Right. Cool. Good talk. Let's do it in a month. <laughs> you say it takes six. I say it takes one week. Let's compromise on a month. Right, right. Uh, no, the the reality is, like, I think the the uh, the important thing and the thing that I end up repeating over and over again is we should take on technical debt on purpose. Like, let's not yes. take on technical debt by accident, which right. is to say, like, you know, you want me to do something very quickly. You help me understand that there's a business value in doing it quickly. I agree with you. I say this system that I build, if I do it quickly, is only going to survive for the next six months. And then we're going to have to build it again, yeah. uh, either because we've oh, we've outscaled it or so we've had more users than we anticipate or there are use cases that we didn't anticipate that are entering the system. Um, no matter what, I'm going to give this a six to six, six to 12 month lifetime and we'll build it in a month instead of six. Or if you want the system to last 20 years, then it's going to take me, you know, a year and a half to build it. Okay. Right? So no, no, here's, here's the one problem that people don't understand why engineers come to them and say, we need to rebuild it. The difference with that metaphor with the house is when you go and build a house, you move on and you build the next house. But right. when it comes you don't down, live in it. you don't live in it. And that's actually what's really going on with the code that people are building is they're building the thing that they have to live in. And so you're literally telling them to cut corners and they're the ones who are dealing with stuff dripping from the ceiling, things that blink on and off. Right. But if you're a smart business leader, you understand that it's not the engineers that are living in the house. It's you as the business who are living in the house. Like everyone will suffer when the corners are cut. And if everyone agrees to cut the corners, then it's fine. You know, then you take on technical debt. Everyone agrees that it's going to have to be rebuilt in six to 12 months and you're fine. Right. The challenge but, but, is but, like, but, yeah. but here's, here's the part that I, I just try to get the engineering perspective of the empathy, right? Which is like, you know, you do your job, and if your job is straightforward, and every time you work on something, you you move something forward, you, you'll feel good about it, and you feel, have a lot of job satisfaction. If you are every, like, week having to go into your bedroom and remove all the pots and dump them out into the sink and put them back because you have a leaky, like, that 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 wears on you. It does from, not feel good. It does not feel good. And so a lot of times when people are asking you about, hey, I want to rewrite something, or I want to do something, I want to build something again— it's because they're kind of sick of taking the pots downstairs and pouring it into the sink. They know that that's fine, but like it's, at a certain point, they're like, I can't take this anymore. You know what I mean? Sure. But as an engineer, if you reach that breaking point, that means that you've done 50 things wrong leading up to that point. Like if you've put five pots or 50 pots on the floor of your bedroom, mm -hmm. you've had a bunch of terrible conversations that led up to all the decisions that got you to that point. Okay, okay. Like you have to take, as an engineer, nope, you nope. have to take some responsibility. Counterpoint. I just got hired here and they're putting me up in uh, old McFoley's room that has these issues. I didn't build this. I would never have made okay. these compromises. So that's, that's the one exception. And I think, and the challenge is there's a problem with continuity, mm -hmm. which is if business leadership leaves the company or engineering leadership leaves the company or engineers for that matter, leave the company and they don't pass the context of why the decisions were made the way that they were made or why technical debt was taken on either by, by on purpose or by design or by accident, then it's going to feel like you're, you're moving into your aunt you know, Jane's house <laughs> with the ceiling full of holes. That's right. And I think that that's something that's really hard because how do you, as a business, often describe that? Like, I don't, I don't think I've ever worked at some place that really 
Like they, they, there was good business continuity when key people would move on to another adventure uh, for like what they were immediately dealing with and what they were going to deal with next, but not, you know, just over time. Like what you end up being like, what were the people four years ago thinking? And a lot of times it's like, our business was different back then. They were thinking probably yeah. really good. They didn't know you were going to try to make this house fly or whatever it is that you're doing today. Or th they anticipated a completely different set of challenges than the ones that have arrived. And frankly, <laughs> right. like if they perfectly anticipated what the business is should or can't like should or should not be doing exactly, then your business probably isn't growing and you shouldn't take the job anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 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 Like software is always broken because if it's growing the use cases that it's put to work on are not the use cases that it was designed for categorically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's, here's one, one question I have for you that where I'm, I'm trying to, to align in, in a business, shouldn't there be certain things that don't change over time because they're just so core to your business? I'm not, I mean, or change less frequently. Sure. Right. I mean, I think, you know, as a as a as a business leader, your job is to predict or at least call the ball on where you want the company, where and how you want the company to grow. Now, at certain companies, that's doable. Like any company dealing with linear growth should be able to do that all day, every day. There should be no mm -hmm. surprises at a mm -hmm. linear growth company at an exponential growth company. There's no universe in which you can anticipate what's going to happen. Well, here, uh, and, I'll, and give I've you worked an, at, I'll give you an example of, of just one. And I especially want to ask you about this with the companies you've worked at. I've worked at a bunch of companies, and this one is always just a really interesting mind puzzle for me. You probably will have a list of customers that need to log into your system. Sure. Why is it that these systems have technical debt? It's like, wh why not just build those systems to be pretty like what they need to be and then move on? Th those systems to I me, mean, are, I'm always suspect of because I've never seen a place where that's dealt with very well. And it seems to me to be the only one that's like, if you're in technology, you're probably going to need to have some kind of user management store of some sort. Yeah, sure. I'll give you I'll give you one counterexample, and maybe we can argue about that. Okay. Uh, Apple login. Mm, a so, great one. Yeah. Right. So Apple give, login does give the not context. exist. Give the context of what yeah, happened so, with, with Apple login. So you you have a, you have an Apple account, right? If you have an iPhone uh, or a Mac, you probably have an Apple account. If you've downloaded anything from the App Store, you have an Apple account. You have to have one. Right. So at a certain point, Apple started saying, "Oh, you can authenticate with your Apple login." Yay! And they made this. Hey, it's a login you already have. It's a. It's like Facebook login. It's like Google login. We're, it's like we're Apple's with the version. Kid. Yeah, it's Apple's version. And then suddenly they were like, "By the way, <laughs> yeah, 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 you don't support Apple login. You can't support any login. Goodbye." Yep. Yeah, that was pretty harsh. Fair, but harsh. And so, I think, yes, it's easy to say that. I I think it's it's overly abstract to say. You just have to log in all the time, right? Login itself changes. Some companies use telephone numbers and you text them, you get texted a code. Other companies mm -hmm. require a secondary authentication. Other companies want uh, two factor auth over text message over an authenticator app. Uh, there's single sign in logins that you have to support from an enterprise context. Like what seems very simple at the outset gets very complicated once you get into the details. Um, okay, so I agree that, with that. That, that but, does but not I'm... excuse <laughs> okay. every terrible login system out there. I'm just saying that, like, the landscape has changed a lot in the last even two years. I agree. I just find uh, I, that might even be a bad example. But to me, like, a lot of 
core business things actually don't change that much. They might be extended, but uh, it's weird when those things are like, wow, we never built it to like handle, you know, people, you know, like that, that's the stuff that I'm like, okay. And I understand like the scale thing where it's like, well, we didn't handle, we, we meant for it to log in for our 500 customers, not our 5 million customers. That's also fair. But, yeah. um, but, but some of these core business things, I would suggest that if I were to look at a healthy company, that the things in their business that are core, that are often unchanging over time, should have less technical debt than the new things they're trying out in order to either be competitive or to go after growth. And I don't know if, if I actually see that relationship with like things that are that are built that way. I feel like a lot of times what ends up happening is it's these core business areas where most of the bodies are buried, where it's like, God, that's yeah. been around forever and nobody yeah, ever yeah, wants yeah. to okay. be... <laughs> okay. I know how to... I let's well, I'm going to take the slight Socratic method here. Yeah. How did the core business function become a core business function? Okay. Usually with a business it's because that thing started making lots of money, whatever that area was. Right. Completely by accident. My point is it becomes <laughs> a core function through a lot of iteration and a lot of failure. And, and what you're often seeing when you see unstable core fund foundations is that it took a lot of technical, you had to take on a lot of technical debt on your path to it becoming a core function. Like no one wakes up in the morning, starts a business and goes, here's the core function of our business. <laughs> Maybe there's... No, no. And, and actually you really shouldn't. If, if on the other hand, yeah. you... If you can do that, if you, <laughs> buy if, stocks instead, <laughs> don't start a company. Um, yeah, in fact, in fact, actually, what what really you should be doing is trying to discover your product market fit the entire time, right? And so, if you right. can find that, that should be the win. Not that you've you have a good guess today on what it is. Well, yes, and then I think you know to your point though, I think once you figure out that it is a core foundational piece of your business, you probably ought to invest some time in cleaning <laughs> up the mess that you made on the way to figuring that piece of information out. Right. Uh, right. But that's a you, that's like a should, right? Like a should is a thing that everyone wants to do but won't. Um, so like you should clean up your core foundational things, but like your business probably isn't making money if you're in software anyway. So you're probably chasing the next product market fit that you need to like get the next round of funding or like figure, figure your business out. Right, 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 right. Okay. I was still taking the perspective of engineer. So, uh, okay. Just in terms of this conversation, let me just try to like work through something. So, uh, Hazeman, um, what's up this thing that I'm really, how are you doing? I'm really glad we're having this meeting. <laughs> yeah, this is a great meeting uh, live in front of people. So uh, just wanted to let you know, um, our business that sells, um, uh, you know, you know, our drone uh, taco business that has been taking off. Oh, yeah. 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 We deliver drones with tacos. We, del we deliver drones <laughs> with tacos. Yeah. A lot of people thought it should be the other way around, but we figured no, it no, out. No, no, no. no. We, drone we inside taco, the tacos. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. Buy buy a taco for three thousand dollars. Get a free drone. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know that billing system that we've been using for the last four years, uh, it it's it's slowing us down. It has a lot of problems. The, the way that we okay. fixed it is basically to make it reboot anytime there's a problem. So I know that you haven't been woken up in the middle of the night, but it's mainly because it's a ticking time it's bomb. Some because someone else has been waking up in the middle of the night and that's exactly right on the floor. Yeah, and I'm and I'm worried about worried about losing, you know, Jenny, and I'm worried about losing Mark. You know, they've been at the company a long time, but they're just getting so frustrated having to deal with the system. And we're kind of punishing our more senior talent with having to babysit this because you're constantly asking us to innovate, and we're we're just not allowed to like spend the three months to actually fix this thing, so it's no longer a huge distraction. 
Um, can I have the money and time to do that? Uh, <laughs> let me ask a few questions first. <laughs> yeah. First of all, Sparks, how are you doing? No, um... <laughs> <laughs> fine. Uh, great. Fine. Great. Fine. Yes. Yeah. Great. Everything's great. Everything's Good talk. Okay. It's fine. Glad we covered that one. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, by the way, isn't this a prototypical conversation though that you would totally, you, you totally? Would have, and so yeah. we're just gonna we're just gonna play it out sort of in 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 fantasy world here. And I'll just <laughs> you know I'll ask the questions that I would ask. I'll put, I'll put on my product or business hat and, okay. and just do this. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned that the uh, the system is burning out some of the more senior talent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally hear you. Why is it that only our senior talent can fix these issues? Uh, because the system's so complex, there's a lot of tribal knowledge about how it actually works. And any of our even really good people who are new, they just get so lost in the code. Like they literally reach dead ends. They don't even know what to do. It's, it's really it, impressive, it. actually. It sounds like an investment, at least in this case, in some documentation might get us 80% of the way there. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Interesting compromise that you're suggesting, Hazewood. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not saying that this is the solution, but I'm saying that, right, uh, employee churn isn't like, you know, if, if you came to me as a engineer or an engineering leader and I'm your manager, the first thing, and you said, okay, this is causing churn. I would say, cool, like, let's fix the churn problem. That's not necessarily going to fix the technical yep. problem. Yeah. Um, but like the churn problem can be fixed with like, cool, let's get our senior engineers to figure out how they can delegate it to more junior engineers because that'll force them to write some things down. And that means we'll have a shared yeah. understanding of where the technical debt is and what the problems are and what the workarounds are. And that means we'll be more likely to be able to measure it or like understand where the problem is coming from rather than it just being this big black box of like evilness. Um, which That's if right. you have and, and some grumpy senior engineers, they might be sort of pointing at the problem and saying, I don't want to work here because of this. And it yeah. might be something else, but like this is an easy thing to point your finger at. Yeah. And systemic issues, honestly, through that process, regardless if it's documenting it outside the code or even just doing in-code documentation, architectural diagrams, just a little bit of context of like, okay, try to brain dump me on what's going on here. Often we'll, this, just kind of taking your side for a moment, we'll often sure, reveal sure. that like, actually this very small effort, if we were just to do this, would solve 80% of the problems. But you totally. have to go through that effort first, right? Right. Because it's very easy to sort of say like, oh, I hate working on this thing. Well, why? Like, I just, I just hate it. It's bad, right? It's like, well, okay, let's like write down bad. It's going to teach another engineer to do what needs to be done. Yep. Right. So like that, that could be a proxy. And again, like as a business leader, I probably wouldn't have that level of understanding. So I might say like, hey, can we solve the people component of this independent of the technical component of this? And that okay. might be like, okay. let's hire some people. Let's spin up a platform team. Yep. Let's let's put some resources behind this. I could maybe like sort of finagle it so that it's slightly better. So like okay. that that's okay. piece number one. Okay, wait. Same day, different meeting. Here comes Robert. Okay. Robert's a product manager, and he's like, Okay, Hazman, I just I don't know what's going on. Basically, the team is just I can tell. That I think they're kind of trying to lie to me, but for my own good. But they're they're spending thirty percent of their time not doing the things that we agreed we would do and just fixing some of this technical debt that they're complaining about. They're just doing it off the side of their desks. Yeah. Is, is that, is that okay? Is that right? Like what, what should be going, what should be going down? This seems like that's a first lot of, of time all, to spend on it. First of all, Robert, how are you doing? <laughs> fine. I'm doing Great. fine. Great. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, first of
Okay, go ahead. First of all, <laughs> Robert's problem is very typical of product managers. Which is why we had a moment of silence for him. That's what that was. It was a moment yes, of silence for Robert. Yes, just a moment of silence for Robert. Yeah. Um, uh, so not, not atypical at all. And in fact, like, uh, this can actually happen to engineering leaders too, where your engineers are telling you, yeah, yeah, this one, this one's going to take a long time. And they're sort of quietly, you know, bailing water or like emptying yeah. the pots into the bathroom, uh, without telling you, <laughs> Yep. right. Um, and so I think the, you know, the challenge as a, as a product leader is you, you go into the situation and you're like, Hey, I know ostensibly some about the technology, but not a ton. Uh, but you know, um, like what's going on with the, like, where's the velocity? Everybody's taking it forever to do everything. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I, the I, I empathize with this one a lot because, uh, for me, um, like the people management part of all this is I'm like, Oh, that's, that's a distruster generator. Like that, that yep. thing is, is what makes people at the that company start to take sides because it's like, yes, I don't feel like or I'm being told to the question truth. the efficacy. Yes. Yep. I'm being, I'm being lied to or, or it's again, it's just sort of a black box. And, and again, we're, we, our brains are trained to see snakes, not grass. And so in right, the, right. with a lack of information, we're going to, we're going to see snakes. We're not going to see, you know, grass. Um, and so, you know, uh, Robert's problem is you describe it super duper real. Um, and there's not necessarily an easy fix for it. Um, I think, you know, in my mind, at least there are two reasons to fix technical debt. Um, and maybe you can come sparks so you can come up with a couple more, but okay. the two of them that are in my head are, uh, stability and velocity. Um, so you, mm -hmm. you should rebuild a system if it's going down a lot and causing the business a lot of money. Right. Right. Um, perfectly actually, valid actually, reason to rip actually, out a system full, and replace full it. Full stop and actually probably the easiest one that any product manager or any business leader will totally be on board with. That one's not hard to sell, yep. right? You're like, literally like the lights are off and I can't do work. Like, got it. Yes. The, the printing press has stopped. <laughs> Like, well, yes. we better turn the printing press back well, we on. Better, <laughs> yes, or we better buy and build a better printing press that doesn't stop randomly all the time. Right. Um, so, so reliability, but reliability can, again, like engineers can wake up in the middle of the night and reboot things. Like you can hide the reliability problem from, um, you know, from the leadership or from the rest of your team fairly easily by just hustling a lot um, and hiding that extra work or that extra burden. So it, the reliability from a like from a system down perspective, yeah, totally. Here and, and actually, and here's here, here's a call out real quick on the reliability thing that I think is an important trust dynamic for both engineering and business leaders to just just get straight. I don't care how aggressive of a business leader you are, where you want your team to just be like, I want you to deliver, I want results, I'm results driven, results driven, results driven. Never ever punish engineers for telling you things are wrong or for things breaking yep. because yep. they will stop telling you. And you will yes. be left with a business that is not functioning the way that you think it is. Engineers, you have to do the brave thing. And like, rather than try to fix things off the side of your desk, you need to make sure that it's it's not bad on you. Like, believe me, we understand it's not bad on you for escalating that something is broken or wrong. We want to hear right. it because everyone who wants to director level, VP level, or if it's just like startup, like founder level, like people want to know, oh, do I have to invest differently in order to fix this business problem? So like yep. everybody needs to get on the on the same page, at least about the reliability, reliability, like pick up the phone, call 911. You don't have to stay on the line. Like, you know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Totally. I, I can't I can't I can't emphasize that enough. And I think if you're 
an engineer or a product manager or anyone in a business and you go to your leadership and you say things are broken and they retaliate or or diminish you, you should fire them and go get a better <laughs> job somewhere else. Yes. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. Um, and actually, it's interesting. Like a, a failure or an outage moment is just as much of a test of you as an engineer or a product manager or a designer. A failure, a failure condition is as much a test of your leadership as it is for you. And you should take notes about how your leaders deal with failure, whether it's your failure, one of your peers, some other leaders' failure. Yeah. Great leaders uh, support and celebrate unique failure, and they punish repeated failure. But if they punish people who fail for totally understandable reasons that's a sign that it's time to leave well yeah just, yeah <laughs> okay leave, uh, um just okay. leave well so the, that's that's reliability so that's reliability. Again, mostly an easy case and then the second one gets really tricky okay which is velocity okay and actually let me back up so the the real the reliability case that gets weird is in three months when our business doubles our systems will stop being reliable. And if we want the site to stay up or we want the app to keep working, we need to do work now. This is like the situation mm -hmm. where our database is filling up. So like our data storage layer is running out of disk space or like the way that we save data is wrong. And if we save a lot more data or we save data on a steeper curve, our systems will stop working. You should throw confetti in the air if if you're a business leader and someone on the technical team comes to you with this and like this piece of information. Now you should challenge it in the sense that like, okay, wait, do we need to do exactly as much work as you're saying? Or are we really gonna five, 10, 20, 30, 100 X our business in that period of time? Um, but that's a that's a case where the reliability yeah. can be tricky yeah. because you're basically pointing to the future and saying it will break later. And if we want it not to break later, we have to do the work now. Yeah, and this is this is one I think actually that's a really good call out more for technology founders who got into it less from a technology side. So the thing that you built with Google Sheets that's powering your business, like when you're going from like one customer to 200, like you need to listen to your engineers when they tell you that like the growth rate that you're looking at, this does not work. This does not scale. And I know that's a weird word to hear all the time, like scale. What is scale? It's like this is super, super important when they try to give you the heads up when you're a very small company, because what will happen is you can completely cripple your growth if you're not taking you into, into, into account some of those, those growth now, curves. On the flip side, if you build for that growth too early, you cripple you your capacity cripple, yep. and your optionality <laughs> to find product market fit, right? So if yeah, you like, it's a balancing yeah, right? act. So it's one of those like, <laughs> yeah, so if you like too far towards the, we're going to grow a whole lot. And unfortunately, or fortunately, founders are very optimistic. Um, and so they can say like, we're gonna 100X in the next 45 minutes. Um, and, and that can lead engineers to take the wrong decisions. And so I think you've, you've gotta have some real talk about what the actual scale and growth of your business is. Okay. At the same time, yeah. and, like, and, and, and my argument would be wait till it kind of fails, yes. or wait till it starts to degrade. Yeah. Right. Like there's an important point where like you yeah. need a tiny bit of failure or at least have real line of sight to that failure before you try to go fix something. Otherwise, in, in engineering parlance, we would call this premature optimization, which is like you're fixing the problem before it exists. OK, yeah, you don't want to do that. OK, so now, now, now I think we can get to like the, the thing that, that the I actually... velocity argument. Well, not even the velocity argument, but like the things around the velocity argument. So uh, there's a lot that we're kind of playing back and forth. It's kind of hard, I think, because like I agree with you on all these things. So 
the thing that I want to know, for, like for real, is with the velocity argument. Like things are taking time and 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 all that. Like, what is what is the industry's successful strategy for this? Like, what what should should we be doing? Because I'm not sure that I've seen people, even successful companies, have the right strategy. I think they've had ones that are fine. How how you doing, Hazeman? How you doing? Just yeah, yeah. They've 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 created they've created strategies that are um, incredibly blunt uh, with how to solve it. Where they're like, oh well, I know large companies will have like, oh we want uh, everyone to spend forty percent paying back technical debt. It's like, well that has no context about whether or not any team should be doing that at all. That doesn't sound like a good strategy. That just sounds like you were scared and so you made a company initiative. Like there's got to be a better way here, right? There's got to be a better way to say. Like with the velocity. By the way, the velocity argument. Just to make sure we're on the same page. It's it's that a team is 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 being very frustrated and taking way too long to get stuff done. Right. That's that's the thing that we're now. Right. So the so yeah. So to, back to my earlier point, the the two justifications for technical debt, which is to say, I have a system that works. I want to build it again and make it work less, so that it will solve one of these two problems. To me, these are the two problems that make sense. Reliability is in the system doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. And velocity, which is it takes engineers forever to do things that should be simple to do. Yep, I wouldn't even say for, uh, that it takes uh, too long. I actually, I actually think that it needs to be different. It's, it's that it's painful to do things there. So it could be that it takes too long. It could yep. be that uh, it's too like mind numbing in terms of the workload. So you're you're having people to have to do work that makes them not satisfied at their job. It could be something else entirely. But whatever it is, it has to do with pain. It's there's something about the pain that it is in that area. I think you have to be careful when you say pain because that could just be emotional incontinence. Like it could just be. But that's what I mean. No, this is exactly what I mean. Let's say you have a company and for whatever reason, like the area of the code that's super important was built by one of your early people who's super smart and nobody has the competence to really service it now. That's a real thing that sure. can happen. Or even no, just, real thing. Like, or somebody could have not necessarily been real smart, but just really esoteric, had the opportunity to build themselves job security by building or everything they were in a, very a weird clever, language. Right? Yeah, or they were very yeah. clever. Like this is this is a common thing where I've seen like a company that allows people to build way off the beaten path where they're like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this whole thing in OCaml, and I'm going to have it connect up to a satellite link that I've been harvesting through my backyard. It's like... Okay. Okay. And now it's like, well, what, what, what's the technical debt? It's like the technical debt is none of us are Harvey. Har Harvey's a genius. And I don't know why, but like <laughs> he built this with his own programming language. Nobody knows this. Programming. I, mean, you know? I think, I think to some extent, right. Velo it's hard, right? You set the, you, you have to think about where the needle is here, but like, for example, I would say that, um, clever or smart people who write software are really just writing bugs that haven't been found yet. Yeah. Like they're, they are writing software. Like if the software can't be easily understood, upgraded, under like unpacked, made better and fixed, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Yep. Um, and so I think, you know, if, if you're on a team and only one person understands a particular system and it continues to be that way, that should be a real red flag to you, whether you're a manager or not, that something isn't right. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the, one of the rituals um, we'll say about most modern software engineering companies is you cannot put code into production, which is to say you can't launch the software that you're writing without having another person review it. 
Um, And I think one of the one of the beautiful things that that does, even a little bit sort of by accident, is it makes sure if it's done right, that there isn't only one person at the company that understands what's happening. And I think to some extent, that's a hedge against um, some bad things that have happened in the past where one brilliant person has worked, you know, 16 hours a day, seven days a week, written a ton of code that no one else understands. And then two years or two months later, that person leaves and the company's or the the engineering team is sort of yeah. left holding the bag. I think it's okay. I think I think we as a society can do better. I think that what that ends up doing is it creates weird power dynamics. I think that people end up like writing code and people are like, that guy's smart. I guess this is what we should do. Instead of having an honest conversation about is this what things should be done? Is this yeah, how things should be, be done? But I, I get what you're saying. I, I just feel like the best we can ideas do should win. The best yes, idea no, should can. win. We can do better. The yeah. best idea should win. Yeah. Um, uh, and so in any case, the argument here is um, the engineers will be able to achieve work faster if we pay down this technical debt. Okay. A great example here is automated testing. We talked about this before. Yep. But like if you're in a world in which there aren't automated tests, automated tests do not directly contribute to the business in any perceivable way. Okay. Right? So, it's like so automated tests got it. Uh, you could go after that. You could do that while you work. This is the thing I want to know. I kind of feel like code is a little bit more like farming where like you have to maintain it. And like, it's kind of everybody has to maintain it. You can't just like every once in a while, just have a bunch of people come in like a SEAL Team 6 and fix everything. It's like, it has to be a, it has to be a part of like your daily ritual with how you write software. It should, it should be without how you do your job, right? Like anything that you're doing, you're going to have to maintain what's the business plan of what we're going after. Who's tracking it? You know, why, why are we doing this? And let's remind ourselves why we're doing it. The code needs to have like some love that is maintenance. And I'm just curious, like, how do you do that as a business, in your opinion? Because to me, this is the thing people suffer with is, is it 40% of their time? Is there a strategy? Do we just let teams that happen to know how to maintain software be successful while other teams that don't inside the company fail? Like, what do you do? I mean, I think um, the one universal rule that I'll throw down, and, and again, you can argue with me here, is there should be a little bit of failure and pain. Like... (laughs) There should be, you You should address suffering, real suffering. Things have to be wrong for you to fix them. Again, otherwise you fall into the, I want to rewrite this thing because a, there's this new shiny tool. Like, and engineers do this all the time. They're like, hey, all there's this the new shiny tool. I want to work with the new shiny tool because it's new and shiny. And in my head, because I haven't done any work on it yet, it solves all the world's problems. And then, you know, they go about actually writing a piece of software with it. And they're like, oh, my God, it has all these other problems, even though it solves the one that I think it's supposed to solve. Right. It's just like I've watched this. I've watched this play out a million times in a million different ways. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think, like, there has to be a real problem. And that problem has to be quantified in terms of, like, um, you know, velocity and reliability um, f- for it to make sense to take this on. Well, so um, what about this one? Here's here's a here's a tricky tricky one for you because I I feel you're onto something here with just like at least talking about this look, this conversation in these areas it reduces some of the mystery from this whole thing right which is like oh okay so now I'm thinking about these two areas here's the thing what if velocity from the next year and the next five years is going to be incredibly just two zero screwed if we don't yep. do something five minutes every day. What about that? How do you make the business pitch for that five minutes every day? Because that's what I worry about the most, right? 
because it's not five minutes. I don't know what the number is, but there's some amount of like, I promise you, if every time we like wake up in the morning and we feed the chickens, we'll have eggs. And it's just like some companies just let all the, the chickens die and they go, what happened to egg production? And it's like, because you stopped feeding the chickens, man. <laughs> That's what happened to the egg production. Like the technical debt of our velocity. You know what our velocity is? It's zero. We're out of chickens. You know, like, like how do you have a healthy perspective on that as an engineer, as a business person, as a product manager? I, I don't know. Yeah, I think, okay. So here's where it starts to get tricky, right? Which is uh, engineers understand technical problems in a very technical way. It's a very technical realm. Yeah, technical right. three times you said in that sentence. It's very technical. Yeah, no, it's a very technical <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Sorry. So the, the challenge is as a, as a manager, as a technical lead, as even just a senior engineer or, or an engineer that aspires to greatness, one of the things you need to do well is translate your technical problem into business value in some capacity. It can be very simplistic. It can be back of the napkin. The challenge is like your leadership or anyone who's not technical, be they a designer, a product manager, a program manager, a, a, even an engineering manager who doesn't understand your work, um, is not going to be able to disagree with you or have an argument with you in a, in a productive way. So you need to arm mm -hmm. everybody around you with the information that empowers them to argue with you and prove that you are wrong. If you can't give them the information, even about something deeply technical and technical, technically debt related, no matter how many crazy house metaphors or bridge building metaphors or whatever you use, <laughs> you have to arm them to win an argument with you about the problem that you are bringing to them or you will get to the wrong answer. And I think this is probably the piece, like this is the foundation piece that I think a lot of people miss out on or lose sight of. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's what I'm learning that I think um, from this conversation that I think is, is valuable is there are certain things that we kind of get pushed into as human beings, as these ideas of like black and white, right? Um, of right and wrong of A or B. And I just don't think this conversation is about two people taking sides about fixing something. I think Yep. It's a difficult conversation of what is the actual trade-off because the trade-off is what matters. And like you said, if we can all come together from all various aspects of the business and and agree upon why the trade-off we're making is the right thing for the company and for and our not jobs, just And by the way, not just agree from an I'm overwhelmed and don't have time to deal with this perspective because I've seen I've seen engineering leaders sort of snowball people by just throwing massive amounts of technical information at them until they give up and just say, I don't understand this, but go do it anyway. That's fine. Like that is not agreement. Right. right? That is bullying. Right. <laughs> right. And also at this at the same time, like you as a person like doing some more technical work, like your job isn't doing technical work. It's to do the technical work and communicate about it. And so you have to sometimes lever on hard with like, okay, um, let me try to find the reason from the business why I would invest in this. Why would I invest in rewriting this? Yes, and, empathy. Yeah, and empathize with everybody around you because ultimately I feel, this is just this maybe an unpopular opinion, I feel that people who are doing the work with hands-on keyboard, like that's where the authority should be. They should be driving recommendations for strategy and the top should be figuring out okay, that is one data point of many data points, and this is what we're going to do. But if you're not there creating I mean, yeah. that information for them, for them to understand, That's they're, the not missing make, piece. they're not making good decisions because they just don't know yes. how bad it is. They might like, look, I get how bad it is. 
we're going to take some severe compromises there because you have no idea the other things we're doing with the company and direction and all that. But like you, it's it's your job to at least generate like, here's how goddamn bad it is. Here's, there, here's the risk. There is water here's the risk. I think dripping from yes. the ceilings. Uh, <laughs> Carl has nearly stepped into the electrical floor um, five times today. Um, you know, and eventually your business leaders will come back and be like. Look, we're gonna have to patch the roof, but we'll 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 fix the water, and 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 that's that's unsafe. And you're like, cool, got it. You know, like we all can work together on this. Yeah. One. No, and I think I think it's the information, and not just spewing information, but it's understanding that is key, right? You yeah, should, yeah. as an engineer, get non-technical people or even your boss, just people that aren't you, to repeat the problem back to you. And if they can, if they can understand it, such that they can actually form a coherent argument, whether you're wrong or you're right. And like one of the one of the ways one of the exercises you can go through is like okay, I Sparks, I'm an engineer. I come to you. You're my program manager or okay. you're my business leader, and I say, Hey, hey so you're I want to build this thing. What's going on? No, I'm not. I'm right on time. Check your watch. It's late. So, uh, sorry. Just go ahead. Go ahead. <sighs> Carry on. Um, okay. So you. How you are you, Hey, say, hey I'm. <laughs> Okay. So <laughs> now that we got that out of the way, yeah. uh, <laughs> the the thing you need to do is, and you can reverse this. You can sort of flip sides here, right? So you can say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about the system that needs to be rebuilt. Now I'm gonna give you as much information about why it needs to be rebuilt, and now I'm gonna take the other side of the argument, and I'm gonna you're you're gonna con right. We're gonna have an argument. I'm gonna jump to the other side. You as the business leader are going to justify that this needs to be rebuilt and I'm going to attack it. I'm going to say no. Right. So yeah. like if you can flip the argument and the other person can win the day, you know that a, it's a good argument or it's a good point. And B you've given them enough information that they can defend your point of view. Right. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I like that so much that I don't think we need to wrap up because I think we're done. <laughs> I feel Glad like we solved that. One. I feel like, I feel like we haven't <laughs> solved anything except for actually, really getting down to like so what it, what is the areas of issue here and i feel like that's actually pretty important i'm i'm really like i, I really like the ability for you to divide it into two places um because for me I, I actually think that I, I i had it a little bit combined and i really appreciate that perspective um i think it can jump back and forth right uh vo velocity like a lack of velocity can lead to reliability issues and reliability issues can lead to a lack of velocity right bailing water out of the boat all the time doesn't let you fix the leaks uh, but at the end of the day, I think those are the two reasons that you should take on, prioritize, and fix technical debt. Yeah. At the end of the day, um, you're trying to make technology, uh, and that's magic. And it's 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 hard making magic sometimes. Anyway, um, anything else you want to add, Hazen, before we say goodnight? I think we should say goodnight. All right. Good night. I'm Sparks. I'm Hazen. Thank you, everybody. We're the Space Pencil. We're the Space Pencil.